Okay, good morning, friends. Um, sorry, put my water bottle down. Um, we made it. Like, we have made it to the end. Um, I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study like I have. I know that it's a lot of work, a lot of legwork, but I feel like God has been so good and gracious in, like, what I have reaped um, from all of my homework and study and everything. And I, I hope you all feel the same way, too. Um, so we are just going to recap James today. Um, I'm not going to go line by line. We're going to look at it kind of thematically um, and hopefully just kind of like summarize some things, if you will, if that's okay. Uh, so a couple of quick things. Um, on your handouts, you'll see that first like image. That's actually from the Bible Project. If you have not gone and watched the Bible Project's like YouTube video on James, I would highly recommend it. It was such a blessing. Um, even like after studying James, it, they just do a great job. So go watch it. It's on YouTube. Just type in Bible Project James. It'll be there. Um, so some reminders to put us back, kind of anchor us back into James. Um, don't forget, he was uh, writing to Messianic Jews. He wasn't writing to like one specific church, but kind of like abroad, if you will. James, um, I learned this, also named Jacob. I think they kind of think his name was Jacob. Um, is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Um, and then here's something I learned this week. Maybe I'm the only one in this room that did not know. He was largely influenced by the Sermon on the Mount and then by the Proverbs. Did y'all know that? Like the Proverbs, and now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, his book makes sense, you know, because it's like you hear with the Proverbs like a lot of imperatives, and then James echoes those. He has, that's why we've had a lot of like do this, don't do that kind of like syntax, if you will. So um, today we are going to go off of Courtney Doctor's like main theme of steadfast. And then we'll have sub-themes to pull down um, in which we see um, steadfastness in different aspects of our life and our faith. So if we look at steadfast, the Greek translation is hupomone. And I love that Greek word. It just is like fun to say, hupomone. Um, it's a remaining behind or a patient enduring. And when we think about where James is when he's writing this, like what a perfect description, a remaining behind. His brother, his friend, his leader like has died and he is carrying on the mission. And he, you, you can't help but think like, do you feel like you were kind of left behind essentially? Um, and he's also writing this months, if not just like very, like a year or two before his martyrdom. And so a patient enduring this kind of like, he is doing the good work even with the fact that like something bad is coming. Um, so in our language, steadfast if you look it up, means firmly fixed in place, not subject to change, firm in belief or de um, determination or adherence, um, and the quality of being resolute or dutifully firm and unwavering. Um, when I was kind of putting it together, Merriam-Webster had this great definition. I think I put it in y'all's handouts. Steadfast has held its ground for many centuries. Um, its old English predecessor, and I'm gonna totally butcher this, bear with me, steed-faced, Combines steed, meaning place or stead, and face, firmly fixed. This word was first used in battle context to describe warriors who stood their ground, which led to its immovable sense. That sense gave way to our common use today of an adjective implying unswerving faith, loyalty, or devotion. And I love that because, like, if you think about us as soldiers for Christ, like as um, you know, warriors in this like spiritual battle, like that description of you know firmly fixed into place um i just thought that was so cool so i've said before that my parents were like endurance athletes 
um, and you know they all trained everything. I have only done, but I have done two um, half marathons, and for the longest time, like up until marriage, y'all, I couldn't run a mile. Like literally, could not run a mile. And so after Chris and I were married, before we had kids, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna try. So I did the couch to 5K. Have y'all ever done that on the app? Where it's like run and then walk. And I mean, it's just I, I'm back to doing it now after three kids. But like, you know, um, so I did couch to 5K and I got up to three miles. And then I started my training for my half marathon. And I did like the Hal Higdon's. If anyone's a runner, you've heard of Hal Higdon. And it's like a calendar and you've got your days and um, everything. And so I would train, I think it was like a 12 or 15 week training to get all the way up to being able to run a marathon. And so we start, like when I started, I think that my first like, you know, run was two miles. Um, remember, I could not run a mile before, like, you know, for long before, so two miles. And then my first like long run was five miles and I thought that that was just going to kill me. Um, it didn't and I kept going and the funny thing would happen I would do my long run every Saturday with one of my best friends in Austin and she like literally is running the Boston Marathon in three weeks like we are not of the same caliber but she would dutifully like run beside me and we talk but the, like the funniest thing happened every week the last mile I would be just like toast like my legs started turning into jelly where you're like I'm not sure if it's gonna hold me and then like I my lungs are like all of a sudden not wanting to breathe like I'm not able to inhale like I should be and everything and so say like on mile seven that week that was like my last mile I'm running and just totally you know like sucking wind for lack of a better term um and it was so hard and then the next week I would have mile eight like I would have to go up to eight miles and seven was fine for me, but eight was when I started buckling again and when I started not being able to breathe like I should. Um, and so it was like every week, the mile that was hard last week would not be a problem. It was the added mile. And that's what we are seeing like in our faith and in our life through steadfastness. It's not, I think that like it's good for us to think about that steadfastness is not this like one time event that makes you Oh, you're steadfast. You're a steadfast, mature Christian now. It's like the little steps, the daily training that is going to get you up to what James is talking about, that point of completion and perfection in Christ. And so um, I put, I think I put on y'all's handouts, um, a couple of like runner verses because I love that like the Bible talks about running. Um, you know, do you not know um, that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then, therefore, we are surrounded by so, um, so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance, that's that steadfastness that we talked about, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfect, um, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So... Our first kind of like sub theme, if you will, will be suffering. Um, James opens it up and that's like the first thing we see is suffering. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is using our sufferings and our trials to continue to train us and stretch and grow us in our faith so that we might be more like him. And moving us towards that goal, that complete and finished work in Christ. So the next kind of sub theme would be wisdom. Um, and if we skip forward, he talks about wisdom in chapter one and everything like that. But if we skip forward to chapter four, um, 
we see that our flesh does not naturally want or even look for godly wisdom. But it actually wants to do what's good in our own eyes, right? Um, we, he talks a lot about like what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is this not um, your passions at war within you? Um, if we um, look at what James is calling out in um, chapter 4, we would see that God's wisdom um, is the, um, let's see, sorry, I lost my place. And um, we'd see that God's wisdom is like the antidote to, the, um, to worldly wisdom and that we need the spirit to turn our hearts towards God um, and his wisdom. So like on our own, we are not going to choose this. Like on our own, we would not turn. We need the Holy Spirit to turn our hearts to want to have godly wisdom. Um, and that we see that, you know, like it, with godly wisdom, it's, it's just the opposite. It's a totally different track than like the disorder of the world. Um, so if we look at our table that I put in there, um, James is describing um, the two different types of wisdoms. And it becomes clear that godly wisdom in our lives um, will direct our hearts towards God and like towards that perfect way. So like it kind of, you see it, and it's like reorienting. And it's important to know that like any type of wisdom is going to produce fruit in us. Like whatever wisdom you are choosing, whatever wisdom you are listening to is going to produce some kind of fruit in your life. So if we look at our table, we see worldly wisdom. But, um, James talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And that's kind of what we were talking about. Like our heart wants to do what our heart wants to do. It doesn't want to do something outside of its own self. Um, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, demonic, um, there's disorder. And we talked about disorder when we were talking about speech this um, semester, when the first thing we see out of God's mouth is that he is hovering over chaos and he speaks order into the world. And so that is obviously um, opposite of what God's personality is and what we should be following is that disorder. And then also vile practice um, coming out as a fruit. But then we look at godly wisdom and we see that it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. I love that, like open to reason, especially, you know, this week. Like, there are a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. You know, we're to be open to wisdom, uh, reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, um, a harvest of righteousness. And I love this one, sown in peace by those who make peace. And the thing is, on wisdom, is that God gives it generously. James is so clear about that. This is not like, Lord, would you please bless me with X, Y, Z. This is, Lord, would you please um, bless me with wisdom. And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, it is his will that we are to be wise. And so just like we give our children the things they need to flourish and grow, like any good parent, we give them water. They would give them food, right? Like we love them. God delights to give us wisdom because it's what we need to persevere in our faith. And so in asking for the, um, these things, for, in asking for wisdom, we are called um, to ask boldly without doubting. Um, in this bold ask, we are actually modeling humility. Um, both like, just like a child, like Henry, my little one, y'all know Henry, he toddles around. He um, does not know graham cracker, but he will chatter to me like something about caca, and that's graham cracker in our house. Um, and he wants a graham cracker, and he does it both boldly because he knows that I'm going to give him the graham cracker because he's cute and I love him and I don't want to hear him yell. Um, and then also, though, um, <clears throat> it's in humility he's asking 
Henry can't open a graham cracker. He can't open the pantry because I have it monkey locked because he steals all the snacks. So like he has to have mama to help him. And that is what we are like coming to God. Like we are coming to God asking for wisdom with humility because we know that on our own, we don't have that humility. We cannot have that humility. And then we're also asking boldly because we know that God is the good and perfect father. He is better than we are as parents. Like he loves us more than we love our children. And he will gladly answer our requests um, for wisdom unreservedly. And so as we ask for wisdom in all things, James also calls us to ask wisely for wisdom, um, or excuse me, to ask for wisdom um, in our approach to like our earthly wealth or lack thereof, and to like help us to put that into right perspective. Um, I think so many of us identify um, with like the struggle of clinging to wealth and to earthly possessions for security. I, like, I do that. Um, and then also for identity and then for ba um, the bombs on life's hard circumstances. How many of y'all have had a bad day and like fixed it either with like a Nordstrom order or a Target order or an Amazon order? Like I can raise my both hands. <laughs> Hopefully Chris doesn't watch this. <laughs> like, um, anyway, but like, it, it, like we, we try and we look for a bomb with like our earthly possessions. Not even just the money, but like the new dish brush because it just feels good. There's newness. And it's, we're looking in the wrong place. Um, and James is not, like, to be clear again on this, James is not saying, like, or arguing that we've done anything wrong by being wealthy. And, like, what Susan said earlier, no matter our circumstance, if we are in this room um, safely listening to a Bible study um, on a Thursday morning, we are wealthy in the grand scheme of the world, like, in worldly wealth, we are um, wealthy. He's not saying that that's wrong. James is talking about the sinful behavior that lies in how these people have handled their money and how we handle our money. Um, in the scripture, like in his book, um, the, these people have kept rightly earned wages from their workers, not being aware or even caring for those who are in their employ, who are under them, they are not shepherd, um, shepherding them well. They are marginalizing them even. Um, and so while they are taking advantage um, and oppressing their workers, they're also using their God-given money. None of their money is that like is earned themselves is God-given, and they're using it to feather their own nest for their own comfort or gain, um, for like living in indulgence. They're fattening themselves without regard to like God's coming kingdom or even the kingdom like at the present. And that's what James is saying is sinful. So he reminds us that even like in, in monetary things, we need to be asking for wisdom. Um, and I feel, <coughs> excuse me, that God would reorient our hearts um, towards our monthly, our, our monetary um, desires, our earthly assets, and our possessions because they are going to last for a very short time. They're not going to last through eternity in God's kingdom. And so he says that the lowly brother or sister is to boast in, um, in his exaltation. Because like in their low lines of poverty, when we struggle with finances, we, the false security of money is removed and what we have left is clinging to Christ, like clinging to God, knowing that he is the good provider of all things and he will take care of us. And so he also, James just reminds us, um, you know, with a warning that, um, Wealth can be a great stumbling block for our faith, and to be really careful with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so in Matthew 6, he says, Do not lay up treasure, Jesus is saying this, um, a Sermon on the Mount. 
uh, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. And that's like echoing, James is echoing that. You hear it in the book, right? Um, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither mo- uh, moth nor rust destroys. Excuse me, y'all. And where thieves do not break and steal. Um, so yeah, so it's just this warning about like putting our earthly possessions and our monetary value in right perspective to Christ. So then we move on to faith and works um, as our next kind of like subtitle, if you will. Um, And so James impresses upon his readers that if there is true conversion, if there is true belief in the gospel, that there will also be true fruit in the lives of the believer. And that's the works he's talking about. He is not saying that works are going to give that believer salvation. He is saying if that believer is saved, we will start seeing the outward kind of like bubbling over. Like um, Susan was saying, the yeast, like the proofing. We're going to start seeing that in, um, in our lives. Um, and it can't help but affect like our behaviors and our responses and specifically our speech. And so as we go through life in Christ, um, just like a runner like me going from couch to 5K to like half marathon and marathon, um, we're going to progressively begin to show more fruit. And we're going to turn um, more, more like progressively towards like obedience and away from sin. And this is not linear. Like please do not ever think that if you are not on an upward trajectory to what you think like is righteousness, that you're doing something wrong. Like our lives as, um, like, as Christians um, and daughters of the king is going to be, you know, obedience and then sin and repentance and the obedience and say like that is it's going to be an up and down but we are edging in steadfastness more and more towards completed um, completion in Christ one of the most visible fruits that we see is speech and we talked about this a lot um, it's not surprisingly um, it's not surprising that it's also our most one of our most difficult sins to tame um, James does not hold back immense words on this, like regarding our speech. And he knows that like on top of being an extremely difficult battle of sin, um, our speech also can do massive damage. And we talked about that. Like it just is very hard to tame your tongue and your tongue can go real fast. And all of a sudden you cause like tremendous damage. But the biggest issue with speech are not the words that you're saying. Um, they can cut down and they can hurt. Yes, like absolutely those things happen quickly. Um, but the problem is, and what James is concerned about, is where it's showing that there's real decay, um, where the heart is. It's like it's showing that there is a big problem underneath the surface causing this kind of symptom, if you will. So don't forget our song um, from uh, Katie Browse, uh, Bowser. Um, Bananas don't grow on plum trees. Your heart is where the words of your mouth grow, and your mouth is where um, the thoughts of your mouth go, or where the thoughts of your mouth go. And so, as a pastor and a disciple and a follower, James is, um, has such like this pressing urgency for our hearts to respond to the gospel and become more like Christ. Um, so just like our actions, we must exercise training and restraint, like in steadfastness with our tongues as we grow in our faith. I love what the Gospel Coalition said as far as like faith and works goes. He summarized it into like, three things that James says, you know, you should be doing. Um, speaking in love, serving the poor, and I put both in finances and in spirit, and then being wholly devoted to God. That was how he kind of summarized what James said as far as like works go. Then we come into humility. 
I think this one, someone said this morning, I think it's so true. Humility is that fine line that runs through all of James that you don't really see, but like if you look at the undercurrent, current, it's, excuse me, undercurrent is all humility. Um, when he's talking in chapter two about partiality um, and judging people based on their outward appearance and like their financial status, who are you to judge? Who are we to judge? Like we should humble ourselves knowing that we cannot be the judge that um, our own position does not allow us to render judgment, right? And then when uh, he talks about like, who are you to boast about tomorrow? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's humility. That's Henry asking for the graham cracker is knowing that like on my own, I cannot control as much as I want to, I cannot control my day and I cannot control tomorrow. And then finally, um, well, almost finally, is the subheading of prayer. And I think Lisa did such a wonderful job last um, last week. I started to like kind of outline. And I was like, no, she like she did a phenomenal job. So if you have not listened to her talk on prayer, I highly recommend that you go and listen to it today. It was fantastic. But I will offer you this. Um, our headmaster emailed out the parents yesterday just in regards to um, the shooting in Nashville, kind of like touching base. And yesterday was all school chapel, so the kids like have to get dressed up. It, all the parents like kind of roll their eyes at all school chapel because like the, the, they're in ties, like it's a whole thing. There's gnashing of teeth and wailing and tears <laughs> every morning. Um, but they have all school chapel and the headmaster like offers kind of a sermon, it's not a sermon, but you, you get the drift, um, or gist. So anyway, he was talking about that he did not touch on the actual shooting, but he talked about lament. Um, and like when we're feeling really sad, like what we are to do, how we're um, to turn our hearts towards God. And so I stole like a little excerpt from what he sent the parents of like what he taught the kids. And I love it. So um, first is like a little excerpt from a book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's by Mark Vrogop. And it defines a lament as a prayer of pain that leads to trust. It isn't just venting our pain to God, nor is it the trite theological answer that attempts to make the problems go away. It is naming the specific feeling we are experiencing, then intentionally turning and fixing our um, gaze upon what is true. And then that's the end of the quote, but then um, Troy goes on to talk about this. He says, he told them, when we experience a generic feeling of despair, we tend to distract ourselves with busyness or entertainment or we believe the lie that we need to fix ourselves before we can come to God in prayer. I challenged our students, when they experience malaise of any kind, to take a reflective posture, to name what they are feeling, to identify why they are feeling this way, to draw near to God, and to talk to him about it after the biblical model of lamenting. I told students that there isn't um, a promise that their problems will go away, but that this practice will, over time, restore their hope renew their faith and build their trust in the Lord who is preeminent in all things including our pain and I just that blessed my heart after the week that we've had so we're pulling it together um so the funny thing about James is that he begins and ends he bookends his book with suffering and did you notice that like at the first it's kind of all kind of joy brothers when you experience trials of various kinds and then at the end if any of you are suffering let him pray um, and that's because we're going to experience suffering. Um, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. This week has been pretty brutal. Like, I think that we could all say that it has been rough. Um, even if this week has not been rough for you, um, you've experienced suffering in maybe how you can't tame the sin of your tongue. Like, literally, after I taught speech, or taught on speech that day, that afternoon, I'm already confessing to the Lord because, like, I've already messed up again. And it's just, like, I kind of feel like that cartoon where they're, like, hitting the brick wall and then, like, running back into it, you know? Like, that is me with speech and so many other things. And um, there's suffering in that. There's being tired and being weary in our faith because it is just hard. Like, this world is hard. And I think that this week and Monday um, made it that much harder. But what does um, James say the goal of steadfastness is? It is that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is not my kind of perfect. This is not the house is clean or I have hit all of my marks or I have like done a good job on X, Y, Z. This perfect is mentioned seven times in the book of James. When you're reading the Bible and there is something mentioned seven times, your ears should be perking up. It is a sign. Um, seven is like, you know, a sign of perfect, like perfection, right, in the Bible. It's kind of like one of those numerical things. Seven times. And it is teleos. And it means wholeness, a completeness, brought to its end and finished. And y'all, it is finished. Sorry. Um, we're going to listen to Psalm 126 because I love what it says. It says, Although we are weeping, Lord, help us keep sowing. And so, friends, that is our steadfastness. That, like, as we are trudging through this life and when it gets really hard, it is not going to be your monumental days. It's going to be what you do on, like, the ordinary and the mundane day. It's going to be the prayer that you offer over and over again that creates a steadfastness in you that will one day lead you to perfection in Christ, will lead you to the teleos in Christ. And so if you will allow me, we're going to just take a hot minute. It has been a week for me. I don't know about you guys. Um, we're going to take a minute, and you can sing it. You don't have to. I'm a horrible singer, so I did not volunteer for that. Kara's going to play it. Um, feel free and close your eyes if you want to meditate. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but just meditate on the fact that, like, although we are weeping, Lord, help us to keep sowing. Um, because we're going to go out with songs of joy where there will be completion. And that's it. Thank you, friends.